Welcome to Adventology, the podcast dedicated to helping you be ready for Jesus. Here now is the host of Adventology, Travis Walker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Adventology. I hope you're doing well. As you know, everything we do on this podcast is designed to help you be ready for Jesus. And today's episode is no different. As you know, the world we live in today is changing rapidly before our eyes. And with rapid change also comes fear, fear of the unknown. And with many people understanding what the Bible teaches, that in the last days um, there will be uh, a, a lack or a loss of religious liberty and personal freedom around the world and even in the United States, many are asking the question if this COVID-19 vaccine has anything to do with end-time events, and I think those are valid questions. Um, you know, there we should be concerned about our freedom. We should be looking and asking ourselves every day um about the things that are happening in the world and whether or not they have prophetic significance to those of us living in the last days. Um, and so with those questions in mind, I've, I've heard people wonder, you know, what is the mark of the beast? And could it be connected to uh, enforcement of a vaccine on the world? Um, should we be concerned about government overreach in other areas of our life, and how do we balance national security with personal freedom? These are all questions, huge questions, that uh, not only we have to ask, but we have to ask our governors, our leaders to wrestle with, because they are the ones making decisions that will determine the destiny of our country, and ultimately the destiny of the world. Unfortunately, we know that in the name of national security, many laws restricting religious liberty will be enacted. And so we wanted to get into that more today. So I invited my friend, Pastor John Renhifo, uh, to come on the podcast today. He is the pastor of the Elliott City Seventh-day Adventist Church in Maryland. And uh, he and I have been friends for, for quite some time, and we both have a passion for Bible prophecy. We both teach it, and we both did online evangelistic meetings at the same time this last fall. And so I know that he has a heart for this topic. I know that you will be blessed by this conversation, and I think it will answer some of the questions that you may be asking about um, current events in light of Bible prophecy, particularly that of the mark of the beast. So um, let's get right into the episode. John, it is good to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? Hi, Travis. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, and uh, what are you doing now? Yeah. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Delighted to be here. Um, I'm originally from... Uh, Los Angeles, California. I, I lived in Southern California and then in Sacramento, Northern California, before I went off to school in Tennessee. 
Um, I now live in Maryland, like you mentioned, with my wife and our three children. I've been pastoring here for over four years and uh, right now working with a group to plant a new church in a territory that has no uh, presence, Adventist presence uh, nearby. And so um, lots to keep us busy. Amen. Amen. I know, yeah, that's um, a lot to to kind of balance in your life um, when it's come to pastoring, church planning, being a dad, being a husband. But, and also, I know you have a, a real passion for, for Bible prophecy. Me and you both did a series, a YouTube series, at the same time. And I remember we were uh, staying in touch because it was kind of a new thing for both of us. Uh, Adventology did a series, and you did a series, and we were engaging an audience online live uh, through video prophecy presentations. So tell me a little bit about that experience, and then when did you really begin developing a passion for Bible prophecy? I got to tell you, when I learned that you were doing uh, an online series through Adventology, it really encouraged me in going forward with the plans, because we were going to do that. It was in the height of the pandemic. Things for the large part were still shut down. And I'd never done an online series before. But when I learned you were doing it and we were kind of doing it together simultaneously, it gave me a lot of encouragement. And we got some good good results from that. A lot of people that had tuned in, a weekly Zoom Bible study resulted from that. In the next few weeks, we're going to be seeing some baptisms from that. And so uh, God blessed it. Praise God. Uh, My interest in Bible prophecy, incidentally, began uh, in 1999. I was uh, baptized in 99. And I was a nominal Christian at best at that time. I grew up in a Christian home, um, belief in God, faith in God, you know, church life was a part of my upbringing. But, you know, I was 22 years old at the time. I wasn't sure what direction my life was heading. And at that time you could hear all of the, all of the chatter about Y2K, mm-hmm. you know? And so there was a lot of fear and anxiety heading into the end of 1999 and turning the clock into 2000. And, uh, I think, Part of that, not that I was kind of swept up in the concern, but I was like wondering, huh, what will happen? <laughs> what is what is happening next? And around that time, a friend of mine had invited me to a Bible prophecy series uh, and to learn things that I had never heard of before. I took my Bible each night to the meetings and my Bible came alive before my own eyes and just saw how trustworthy the predictions were in Scripture and how history shows their fulfillment uh, and even into our present day. And so since then, I've just really been interested in, in Bible prophecy. I've enjoyed teaching it and help people understand it. Yeah, and how did that uh, interest kind of lead you into full-time ministry? Was there was that kind of an immediate thing after your baptism that you started studying or right before your baptism? and was there, what was the progression from that point on to um, where you are now as a pastor? So after my baptism, you know, and, and re- even leading up to it, I was uh, just on fire with my newfound faith. 
um, I knew I could see God working in my life. He, there were positive changes in my life. And then I had heard about this school that was opening on teaching, you know, um, personal witnessing or personal evangelism and kind of receiving training. And it was there in Northern California. It was uh, known at that time as the Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. Um, and I attended that. Their inaugural class was in 2000. And part of the training is a practical experience of going out and doing conducting surveys in the community and then giving Bible studies with people. And so I would be in people's living rooms, Travis, uh, studying the Bible with them, you know, the little things that I was learning and, uh, and then coming back week after week and just seeing people's understanding grow and their faith in God develop. And since from that time, I said, okay, I can do nothing else. I was sold out because I was just experiencing the joy of um, seeing people's lives change and how the gospel was doing that. Amen. Yeah, and I can remember that was around the same time that my life was was changing. Uh, 99, 2000 were, were big years for me and and uh, the beginning of 2001 was, uh, was a time when I, too, recommitted my heart to God completely. And uh, as we all know, in, in 2001, uh, we had uh, 9-11, right? And it's crazy that that's, that's right. coming up on, uh, I guess we've had, it's already been, been uh, 20 years since that. Sure. And... Uh, one of the things that that resulted from 9/11, other than just the, um, you know, the understanding, the realization that uh, even in America we're not safe from uh, terrorism, was the change in our freedom. Right, we started to see restrictions to travel and other things that we used to take for granted in airports and other things like that. Um, just yeah. in, and yeah. th- there was this heightened surveillance of the citizens and, and we began to learn more and more about that. And, um, and then now recently we've seen again, where, uh, you know, we've, we've been going through COVID-19 and again, it, it feels to a lot of people like our freedom and, our rights are being sacrificed at the expense of security, just like 20 years ago. So I hear that a lot, and I'm sure you have too. People are concerned about freedom. Does Bible prophecy have anything to say about that? Yeah, Bible prophecy is quite a bit to talk about in in reference to liberties, especially as they affect us uh, toward the close of time. Uh, But freedoms and liberty has been an issue, you know, throughout the course of time, you know, um, where you have God who gives us liberties, who gives us freedom, and Satan who is either trying to deceive or coerce. And so you see that played out um, even through history. For sure. Um, And I think the the thing that we're not used to here in the United States is the idea that the land of the free home of the brave could eventually be a place where um, things that, that generationally we have taken for granted 
um, are no longer um, available to us. And and so it's it's much deeper than um, than a lot of people realize. So what what historically are some of the challenges that Christians have had in terms of freedom? And uh, do you see a return to some of those same challenges? Well, you know, it's interesting you brought up about 9-11 and the aftermath of 9-11 in our country, uh, because we lived through it. And to think about it, man, that you have today's high school graduates or early college students who weren't even alive at that time. <laughs> you right. know, uh, they, they don't know a world before 9-11. Uh, but for those of us who lived through it and remember it well, uh, yeah, you, we lived through some of those changes in in the way we do life and certain liberties. But people uh, were readily in agreement to maybe you could say turn those over because we had been in a crisis. You know, mm-hmm. our nation had been attacked. Um, you, you don't know if this is going to happen again. And so all of a sudden, all of these uh, measures that are taken at the airports you're flying. I mean, you bet that the average person is going to be like, sure. Yeah. You need, you want to frisk me. That's fine. As long as you're ensuring that that is not going to happen again. Right. You know, you need to remove this out of my bag and so forth. And so because of the height of, of the crisis and what it caused in the heart of, or in the psyche of America, people were, or they didn't really argue or put up much of a fight because we knew of what was at stake. And I think the same thing you could see with COVID, you know, when we early on, when we didn't know what this thing was and um, you know, we see the number of hospitalizations or hospitals, you know, overbooked um, with patients, you know, deaths and all that happening. Yeah. Everybody was for the most part willing to hey, quarantine at home, you know, um, mask up and all of that. Um, and then now it's going to be interesting to see what sort of measures will remain um, after this pandemic, you know, and then it, it will be interesting to see how that goes. Um, because as you know, after 9-11, a lot of the things that were imposed, we, we're still living with today. Exactly. And neither of us are suggesting that, you know, security uh, airports is a bad thing or that uh, right. masking in itself is a bad thing or anything like that. But what we are noticing and pointing out is just the macro effect that these events are having or have had on society, particularly America. But really, obviously, you look around the world and we can see the effect or the fear factor that uh, particularly this pandemic has had in changing uh, human behavior to such an extent that I can't, I know it. it's unprecedented in our lifetime, um, there's the dramatic change of human behavior in such a short amount of time, and, uh, and just the willingness or the necessity, maybe, some would say, to change and to adapt and to, you know, restrict ourselves for the sake of, of national security. Um, and, the, and the common good. Yeah, in the common good, right. I mean, the the idea was we wanted to protect those who were most vulnerable. And and again, both of us support that. We're not saying that's mm-hmm. necessarily 
a bad thing. But what we are talking about today is the role that that government plays um, in these events and how the residual effect of of these events have on society as a whole and particularly our freedoms because uh, as anyone who has grown up in the United States know, we we are we take pride in in our freedom in our in our constitution in our separation of of powers right uh between not just in our our government between the legislative and the executive and the judicial but uh between the government and the church there's always been this understanding of a separation between church and state and we the people have uh set the government up in such a way to protect uh, religious liberty and freedom, um, and mm-hmm. and yet I I hear more and more, and I don't know if you are hearing the same thing. People are concerned that these events are um, we're on the cusp of losing uh, more freedom. Have you heard that from people as well? Yeah, I have, and there is a general sense of concern, um, you know, from thinking men and women today. Uh, and not even necessarily religious, Travis. I think, you know, we can see that there are people um, just on, you know, different sides uh, of the education, religious world in our country and perhaps around the world that have just this uneasiness uh, about the really the power to exercise that the government can have. And there's one thing that we can all agree on, um, on whether wherever people stand on some of the mandates and things that have been um, extended over the last year or so uh, since COVID, is that how quickly, virtually overnight, things can change. Right. And I think we can all agree on that. Um, you know, it happened at 9-11. And, and again, we're seeing it here about how quickly things can change in our society. And, and we are living that out. We, we, don't, we still don't know what the other side will hold as far as what we're going to be allowed to do, you know. Or, um, but certainly there are concerns. And people are having concerns. They're asking questions. And that's why you have a war on social media mm-hmm. oftentimes. Yeah, and it's interesting too when you study the Bible and particularly um, the the idea that there is going to be these these major uh, religious political movements um, that happen rapidly in the last days, and and so a lot of times people read the Bible and and they read Bible prophecy, and even those who understand Bible prophecy to some degree, um, kind of get frustrated because you you see this this time period we're living in now feels like a gap feels like we're living in this time after some prophecy has been fulfilled um and before other prophecy has been fulfilled and and so we in this podcast we've talked a lot about um you know the the disappointment of 1844 and just the the idea of um being ready for Jesus, but yet at the same time, um, you know, the reality is we've been living in, quote-unquote, the time of the end, according to the Bible, for, um, you know, 200 years now. So 
to uh, and compared to modern society, that's pretty much encompasses um, almost all the modern era. And yet, according to the Bible, this is just a small segment of time. When when you look at the grand picture of the meta narrative of, of the human history, and and so it can be confusing, right? To at the same time, you know, believe we're living at the end of the world, and and in another sense. Um, it, it seems to be always on the edge, but not really coming to pass. But now, um, as we see how, like you were just mentioning, how things are changing, can change so rapidly, I think a lot of people who are skeptical about, you know, um, the changes that the Bible predicts could happen, um, now it seems much more realistic. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and what we're told and what Bible prophecy reveals, the book of Revelation outlines, is that um, eventually that what's going to be in question will be about the law of God. Mm-hmm. And so governments will take measures, and again, it will be for the public good. Right. Like, it, um, you know, we're blessed in the United States of America you know, that we can, we can trust that decisions that our governments will make as it, as it pertains to its citizens or the mandates that they make or the things that they roll out, that really it's to protect and to preserve, you know, our citizens. I mean, I can only imagine what it would be like to think that our government is always, it's out to get us and you can't trust it. I mean, you can't sustain that type of uh, mentality. So, I mean, to be able to trust that the government has the best in mind for its citizens, we want to be there. Right. But we are told that at some point that in the interest of common good, there will be measures taken that will put into question the law of God. And then that will single out those who will choose to be faithful mm. to God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, one of the things that I was recently teaching in my church was just reviewing the the parable of the 10 virgins. And, um, you know, you have this, like I was talking about, you have this time, this intermediary time where you have the, the five wise and the five foolish virgins who are, who are waiting for the coming of Jesus, but they're sleeping. Mm-hmm. And then there's this um, event that, you know, isn't clear uh, at least, you know, what precipitates it, but it's called the midnight cry. And this midnight cry, whatever it is, it awakens or whatever precipitates it. The effect is to awaken the church, awaken those who are looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And But their condition before being woken up is determining their destiny, right? Because they're already... Um, it's already decided because five that are wise, they had the oil and the five that were foolish did not. But it doesn't seem at that point that there's time to go and replenish the oil. So Mm -hmm. this is why I think this conversation is relevant, right? Because we may be on the cusp of something that, um, you know, might fulfill what, what Jesus was referring to here as the midnight cry. But if we wait till that time, right, it's going to be too late if we're not ready. That is a powerful parable, Travis. 
And what's interesting about that is that the wise could not give of their oil uh, to the foolish. It, it represents an experience that everybody has to have for themselves. Exactly. You know, you cannot transfer to somebody else your experience of trusting in God and, you know, um, and how your faith has developed. We can teach, but ultimately everybody will have to have that experience uh, with him on their own. Mm. Yeah. And you cannot transfer that oil. Exactly. So, so that's why we, you know, these moments, we do need to take advantage of them, even if it's not the final um, warning or the final uh, moment in Earth's history. But these moments like 9-11, COVID-19, that generally wake people up. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, and I'm sure you have too, um, who have come back to God, come back to church, come back to uh, an interest in in wanting to know about Bible prophecy because these events are happening. And uh, and so we need to take advantage of them, and we need to put them into context um, with what the Bible teaches. And so one thing I wanted to talk to you about today was this, this concept of the mark of the beast. Now, it's a very deep um, uh, doctrine to look at on one aspect. Uh, there's a lot to dig into about it. But on the other side, it's actually a fairly simple concept, um, and I want to get into that with you. But the reason I, I bring that up is because I have heard, I'm sure you have as well, people connecting getting the vaccine for COVID-19 with the mark of the beast. And, um, and so there's some compelling reasons they make for that, and there are a few parallels potentially that could, um, at least from a, from a uh, principal point of view, I can I could see their point, but I think a lot of people just misunderstand um, really what the mark of the beast is. So, um, what what do you think? Is that something that you have heard as well um, in your interaction with people? You know, more so, uh, it's things I've read or posts that people have shared and have just kind of come across my screen. I don't know how prevalent it is, but. There's there's certainly group of people out there that are believing that, um, and if we remember that the final battle at the end of time, as the Book of Revelation puts it, it's going to be a it's going to be a spiritual battle. In other words, it's going to be an issue of the mind mm. and of the decision of worship, as opposed to a physical thing. And so we remember that 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 whole crisis that comes to a head in the mark of the beast, it's going to be really a matter of our decision making as it pertains to faithfulness to God. You know, um, you remember when or you may not remember, I, I was told that when barcodes first came out in stores as a way to ease transactions, that a lot of people believe that the barcodes were, mar- you know, a sign of the mark of the beast and either we shouldn't buy things with the barcode or something. Usually things that are novel and un- misunderstood can be uh, misinterpreted to be or to in some way related to the mark of the beast. 
we need to remember that it's going to be a spiritual issue, not a physical one. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just listening to an, an interview, uh, on, uh, on a podcast and, and, uh, it was, it was somebody who was convinced that there was, um, little microchip that was being implanted in pe- everybody who got the vaccine. And <laughs> so, and people again, connect that concept to like you were saying mind control. And I think that's people's fear. I think anyone who, um, misunderstands the, the idea of the mark of the beast is to me, the biggest misunderstanding is that somehow, um, that your mind is going to be controlled. You're going to lose your ability to make your own choice. And, um, and so there's going to be some sort of secret way that, you know, the government or some other entity is going to entrap your mind so that, so that you're lost ultimately in the end. And I like what you were saying, because if it's truly a spiritual concept, then it is something that every person, um, gets to choose for themselves. It's not something that um, is uh, is controlled by by some other power, but each person controls their own destiny. Um, and one of the, the stories that I love to share, and I don't know if it's something that you appreciate, is just the story in Daniel 3 as kind of an illustration mm-hmm. for understanding the concept of the mark of the beast. And, uh, and so for those who are familiar or not familiar, maybe, um, is that something that, that you would use as well? And, and if so, how does that story in your mind kind of help teach this concept? Yeah, that's an excellent correlation. Uh, for those of our listeners that may not be aware with what Daniel three is about, it's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar who erects this huge statue. It's an image of gold. And, um, and actually, in, historically, this comes during the height of some, an internal strife or civil war, perhaps, within Babylon. And so it was a way to delineate who, his, who was going to be his true loyal subjects in the kingdom. Now, this follows the, or the dream that he had that Daniel interpreted in Daniel chapter 2, that outlines the history of the world from Nebuchadnezzar's day down to the second coming of Jesus with the, the image with the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, thighs of bronze and legs of iron, followed by the feet of iron mixed with clay. And then the image was like pulverized by this um, stone that is cut out without hands and it smites the image at its feet, symbolizing God setting up his kingdom. So in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a an image of gold, and he's quite literally, Travis, commanding, coercing people to bow down and worship, because through the sign of their bowing to this image, he was interpreting that as loyalty to himself and to his monarchy, his reign. But among those, there were those few loyal to God who knew that that was in violation of the commandment not to bow down to any graven image. And so there's certainly a correlation there because you see over and over 
the mandate, the law, the decree to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And it repeats that over and over in the chapter. Bow down or fall down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And you see that parallel in Revelation 13, where this beast, the power, sets up an image that will command the whole world to worship. Certainly there's a correlation there. And that, of course, points to um, the enforcement of the mark of the beast. And those that do not um, bow down at first will not be able to buy or sell. But then, as we know, it also will have a death decree attached to it Mm. for those rebels. Yeah, exactly. And, and so this is the, the key story, I believe that in the Bible that really explains the concept of the mark of the beast, because you find that even though there was a decree, um, it was a voluntary choice people made to bow down. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, um, even though they were coerced or compelled with a threat to bow down, uh, while essentially um, in Babylon, you know, is a symbol of the world, right? In Revelation, mm-hmm. Babylon is a symbol of the world. Um, and like you mentioned, the, the Revelation 13 and all of Revelation is is cosmic in scope, right? It's 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 dealing not just with a a local um, conflict or a local um, controversy between good and evil like we find in in the old testament which is primarily between israel and whoever the local power is at the time in the region of the world but but this in the last days is expanded to include all people and babylon is spiritualized in the last days to include all the world um and and so when they stand up um they are um defying the, the decree, and then what happens next? They, they are brought up, they're brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and it's one of the greatest testaments of faith because before them was, they were threatened to be thrown into this um, fiery furnace. You know, that's where it was like a kiln and where they would make their, their bricks for to make their structures. And it was stoked, even seven times hotter, the Bible says. But I love, Nebuchadnezzar tells them, and he mocks their God, by the way. He says, who is this God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? And they can feel the heat of the furnace before them as they stand before the most powerful man in the world at that time. And they answer, actually, uh, in verse 17 of that chapter, Our God is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. But they come back in in verse 18 and say, But if not, let it be known to the king that we will not bow down. And so, you know, if, if in God's infinite wisdom and mercy, he chooses not to deliver us, king, you ought to know with all due respect that we will still not bow down and worship this golden image. I mean, wow. You know, um, and of course we know, you know, they were thrown in, but God rescues them. And it serves as a testimony to this king who then acknowledges that their God is the true God. Yeah, it's so powerful because essentially they're being 
forced to choose between loyalty to the government of Babylon or the government of heaven. And as long as the laws of the government of, of Babylon did not interfere with the laws of God, they they freely served and they were actually high high ranking officials in the government of Babylon. They mm-hmm. were loyal to to their country. They there's no there's not not a uh, there doesn't have to be a distinction between being loyal to country and loyal to God. You can be both. They were, but when it became an issue between having to choose between obedience to God, which the bowing down to that image would have broken, you know, the first and second commandments in, in the, in the 10. Um, and, uh, and they, they would not because uh, they, and uh, in, in the, the apostles repeated this same principle in, in the book of Acts, you know, we ought to obey God rather That's than right, man. Rather than men. That's right. And that's such an important point you make, Travis. That cannot be understated. You know, God's people should not be needlessly antagonistic to the government. Right. And and refuse, just reject things or or mischaracterize the motives that you are right. You know, the Bible says that God has established that, you know, that authority that of government. Um, and we ought to respect that. Um but once that runs contrary to the principles of God's word, to his law, then, yeah, we're going to be first and foremost loyal to God. Amen. And so this is the principle that we find in the book of Revelation, right? This this concept of being loyal to God rather than loyal to man. Um, and I like, I like how you were talking earlier that every single time we've, "Quote unquote lost freedoms in this country," um, it was ostensibly and and maybe truthfully for the common good uh, of of the citizens. You know the 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 idea of exchanging some freedom for security just made sense, and and we saw that again um, with with COVID nineteen. There's a certain level of just common sense. Um, approach to to trying to overcome a a pandemic that that we had never experienced before and it was it was a new experience um, but um, there are some principles that um, you know come out through this through this study as well that yeah. there could become a point when when the common good or, or unity, Right, like you were, you were also mentioning that this was a an opportunity to unify the kingdom of Babylon together, um, and and it was necessary to unify for the common good. And so, you know, when unity is uh, achieved at the cost of of conscience, at the cost of obedience to God, then that is the time when um, unity is is not something that we can afford to. Um, to compromise um, our our connection with God to achieve. Yeah. And, and you know, can you imagine, I mean, just the social pressures um, that will be put upon the few, you know, upon people um, to give up certain, you know, certain rights because everything will be, it will have a valid argument that it's for the good of the nation. It's for the mm-hmm. good of people. 
So why would you want to go against what is best? You see, and so the those that will be in opposition to those things when God's law comes into question will be actually mischaracterized as people that are against the the nation. Right. Uh, When Jesus was going to be crucified, you remember that the high priests said it's better for this man to die than for the whole nation to perish. Right. And so their argument was it's, it's, for the good of the nation, for the well-being of this nation, we need to crucify this man. And this was the Son of God. Uh, and so, you, such a you know, Satan point. knows how to orchestrate. I mean, things are going to be stirred in such a way that it will literally push our country into a corner. Um, and it will bring to light, you know, God's law. And the true... Yeah, and the true nature of, of everyone's experience with God, which goes yeah. back to that whole parable of the of the ten virgins, right? So mm-hmm. our experience with God leading up to that moment of crisis, and it is going to be a moment of crisis, like you said. Uh, it can't be something, a slow build, because then it, it would just be too obvious. You know, it has to be something that is, is a crisis that falls on the country and the world, and in order to, to meet that crisis— it will be determined to 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 restrict freedom again in some way that prevents God's people from from keeping the law, or at least attempts to try to keep God's people from keeping uh, the law of God. And and the result of defying that law that um, that is decided uh, will be perceived as a um, threat to the the structure of government in the world and that's right. That's right. and and it will be seen that if we allow this group to continue to hold to their conscience it will undermine um everything we've built so we have to just like you said I love that Jesus was doing the same thing if people accepted Jesus as the savior as the messiah then what happens to a whole Jewish economy what happens to all the things that that seem to would almost have to be done away with mm-hmm. to accept mm-hmm. Jesus as the Messiah. Um, it, it seemed too great of a sacrifice, and so the majority yeah. said, "Away with him, crucify him." And uh, that's a that's a strong parallel. Now, the difference between Christ and God's people in the last days, though, is uh, you mentioned it, it. It's in the story of the three Hebrews, right? When they get thrown in the fire, what happens? Yeah, when the three Hebrews get thrown into the fire, the next scene is that Nebuchadnezzar comes to the edge of his throne because instead of seeing three men burning in the fire, he sees four men walking in the fire. Mm. And the only things that had burned were the ropes that bound those three Hebrews. I know. Because... When they came out, the Bible records that not even a hair of their heads were singed. Or smoked, so smoke God, or anything. Yeah, or smoke. That's right. So God preserved them in the midst of the fire. Uh, you know, God never promises that he's going to take us out of the fire in the sense of that we'll avoid it altogether. No, there will be. You know, Jesus says in this world, you will have tribulation. Uh, but he promises to go through it with us and to see us through to the other side. Amen.
And I think that's the the beautiful picture we find in, in Revelation um, is that that group um, who does stand, um, he preserves them till the end. You know, they're they're called the 144,000 in the Bible. Um, you know, we're not sure if that's, you know, what that number means necessarily. Most most people believe it's symbolic, but the the idea behind that number is more of the the principles or the qualities of those who make up that number. Okay. And uh, one of the principal qualities of that, that number that stands for God throughout the end of time and does not receive the mark of the beast is that they have the seal of God on their forehead. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it interesting when you look at Revelation 7, how um, there's these four winds that are being held back. And, and it's like these winds of strife. It's like this crisis that is imminent in the world. And God, is, God says, hold, hold it back until when? Until what? What is God waiting for? Yeah, until, the, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Yeah. 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 So what do you think that means and how does that connect to this? It's, to me, it's the counter uh, of the mark. Um, so, yeah, just share a little bit about your thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the symbolism is so compelling that you, see, you have these angels that are holding back these winds because they know that once the winds are let loose and they blow, I mean, we're talking it's, it's going to be full-out chaos. And so God is in his mercy allowing this period of time because the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance we're living in that time right now where those winds, uh, they may be slipping through, but they're still being held back um, mm-hmm. so that God can seal his servants, you know, and that seal really is this, um, is this settling into the truth, both spiritually and mentally so that you cannot be moved. Uh, and so that is in contrast to the mark of the beast. It's incident, uh, incidentally, it's uh, interesting that, the seal of God, Travis, is placed in the forehead, but the mark of the beast is placed both in the forehead or on the hand. And so certainly this is a spiritual thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, but the forehead or the seat of the forehead really is the part of the mind uh, where moral decisions, this is kind of like the moral seat of our of our character is in the frontal cortex, frontal lobe. Uh, and so God's seal is placed there, symbolize that there are those who, you know, the only way you can receive it is by the decision and the choice to follow God. He doesn't place his seal in the hand. Right. He doesn't force. Exactly. Yeah, he doesn't force. That's right. Yeah, and that's so interesting that you brought that up because, in other words, what you're saying, the the other side of that is that there are going to be people who genuinely believe um, that the that the law restricting religious freedom um, is good, and and they're going to be fully on board because they think it's right. And there's going to be another group that go along, not believing, but because they don't want to have to deal with the consequences of breaking the law. They're, they're going yeah. to be compromised, but they'd rather get along with the world than to stand for God. So they too go along with it. Um, yeah. And, and either way, whether you're fully 
on board with it or you're just going along to get along, um, the result is the same. You get the mark. Um, And the only way to um, to not get the mark is to, um, you know, have the courage of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who who are willing to to stand up. um, And and it's interesting because. You know, when you look at Revelation 14, of course, the third angel's message is the message um, proclaiming with a loud voice, right, to um, to not receive the mark, right? Don't yeah, don't if right. anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark, right? So so here it is. It's like don't take the mark. Don't yeah. don't uh, compromise truth to get along with the world. Um, and, and then at the end, you find the, the description of those who don't get the mark, right? Verse 12, here are those, um, who keep the commandments of God, right? Here's the patience of the saints. And here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, right? So it comes back to, uh, true faith is always the result is going to be obedience to God and his commandments. Amen. Amen. That's right. And we ought never to forget that, that, um, you know, issues like the vaccine and things like that, that is not going to be the final test. That is not the test for God's people, you know? Um, And so the test will be as it pertains to the commandments of God. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, can we make an argument that, hey, is is the, you know, and they haven't got to that point yet. Hopefully they never will where they're, where they're you know, forcing the vaccine. But the, the idea behind government force um, and, and people's religious liberty and their conscience not wanting to do something, that principle is in congruence with um, what we're talking about. But... And so any principle, like, you know, for instance, we're Seventh-day Adventists, right? So, um, you know, there's certain people who their employer will try to force them to work Mm -hmm. on the Sabbath. And because we have religious liberty in this country, um, we have many times um, been able to achieve religious liberty and to not have to work on the Sabbath um, by appealing to this concept of liberty. Um, and and so we still have that liberty in this country, don't we? We still do. Thankfully, we still have it today. So, but when we, we can see that potential for that more than maybe 10 years, 20 years ago, for that being taken away, I, at least I can, more than, than maybe back in the, 80s and 90s, even even the 2000s, wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can see today how how quickly things can be stripped away. And so, based on that knowledge, based on that understanding of like, okay, we have these current events that are not necessarily fulfilling the prophecy of the mark of the beast, and and we still do have religious liberty, but they're they're signs to wake us up and and so that we can um, be prepared. We want to be like those wise virgins. So what does it mean to have oil in our lamps? 
would you say as we are, you know, we don't know when this last great conflict is going to begin. What does that mean to you? Like when you're teaching and preaching and just in your own life, um, you know, how do we, um, you know, avoid getting, getting the mark? You know, that, that oil that we all need in our vessels uh, can only be obtained during the time of peace right? or while the oil is available. Mm. You know, the oil was only available before the announcement that the bridegroom was coming. Mm-hmm. Be- because after midnight or after the cry was made out, behold, the, bri- the bridegroom comes, you know, the foolish virgins returned and they hadn't, fi- they didn't find any. You see, or, or even if had they found it was too late, right? Um, you know, when the 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 party had already moved on, and so the best time to really fill up in our uh, faith experience with God, it's now in this time of relative peace that we still have. It's a it's a window, and we don't know how long we have it for. But now is the time to really. Uh, develop our experience, our faith with God through reading his word, uh, listening to great podcasts like Adventology, you know, fellowshipping with God's people. Um, now's the time to be filling. Definitely. And I think this is something that we can all do together. Um, you know, we, we need each other. This is not a time to isolate. I know a lot of times um, people's instincts are when they're afraid is to to isolate and to um, re- retreat from from the the support systems that God still has in place I mean the church like you said is still active um, to me I I just would encourage people to as you have the opportunity to reconnect with the local church right reconnect with the mission of the church right. because when That's we right. focus on fear we end up focusing on ourselves but when we focus on mission, we focus on on those um, who who don't have oil in their lamps or don't even have lamps. They don't even know the truth uh, that we can go out and and be a part of, of sharing and, and and bringing lamps to the world and, and teaching others how to fill their lamps with oil, um, because that will keep our focus on on uh, what what God is doing. And I think a lot of this the danger from something like COVID-19 or, or any kind of crisis that we face is just the, the, the danger or the temptation to, to isolate and become self-centered and self-focused mm, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and self-preserved. Exactly. But that's not what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They could have self-preserved. Self-preserving is essentially setting ourselves up to receive the mark because mm. there'll be some way to say, well, I'll justify not, you know, you know, there'll, there'll just be some justification that will come up to to uh, because the ultimate purpose will be to save ourselves. But Jesus said, if he who um, saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, will find it, and uh, and so that would be my encouragement. What would you say as we I'm kind of wrapping up here? What would you say to somebody um, who is you know we're coming out of this COVID? Uh, time and people are considering re-engaging with the local church and we're living in this time right before the second coming of Jesus, what would be something that you would say? 
It is so important, especially now. You know, we're going to have to learn how to come back together. You know, over the last, what, you know, maybe 12 to 16 months or so, we have, um, we have been doing life apart. You know, we've been working, doing school, doing church in many cases, um, separated from others. Um, and I think now is certainly we need to look for those opportunities um, and initiate ways that we can come back together. Uh, having that support, whether it's in the local church, getting plugged back in into the local church, um, having a virtual, belonging to a virtual group, if that's what it needs, but where you belong to something. Mm-hmm. Um a scripture that has meant a lot to me and I've meditated quite a bit on over the last year has been in Second Timothy where it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You look around our world today, Travis, and there has been a lot of fear. You know, a lot of our responses to things, uh, you know, on a personal level, have been out of fear. You know, you could see it demonstrated when all the toilet paper was sold out in stores. You saw it here recently, at least those on, on the eastern side of the country, with gas stations closed because there no more gas, you know, because of the fear that there would be no more gas. And so everybody is going, filling up whatever tank and handheld container they have. And again, all of that is just driven from fear, fear. And it, God says that he gives us this power, love, and a sound mind. And that's where I want to be. Amen. Well, I hope you were as blessed by this episode as much as I was. I know that we touched on a lot of the issues surrounding the Mark of the Beast, and we didn't get into all of it. Uh, We didn't have time, but I think you were able to see the principle that is connected to it in a way that should help you navigate um, interpreting events that are happening around us in ways that keep us focused on the truth, keep us focused on our walk with God. And uh, we should continue to ask questions. We should never just follow blindly um, anything that the world is doing. But we also need to make sure that we're interpreting the Bible correctly. And we don't want to be ascribing um, the mark of the beast to other things that might, um, in the end, become a distraction from the true issue. And so if you're interested in learning more about the mark of the beast and Bible prophecy in general, I want to encourage you to check out my YouTube channel, Adventology. And you can just type Adventology into YouTube and you will find my series, Signs of the Second Coming. And it's a 13-part series. And in that series, it's very recent. We went through the whole topic of Bible prophecy. We covered the Mark of the Beast. We covered many other prophetic topics. And I want you to be informed what the Bible has to say. So go over to YouTube. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so that you can start out with episode one if you're interested. Um, I also want to encourage you if you have questions to reach out to me at travis at adventology.com. If you were blessed by this episode, then uh, please share it, rate it, review it. We love to hear from you. Um, Rating always helps 
others find this podcast. So even if you don't share it, if you rate it and write a few little words that describing how you were blessed by it, um, it uh, really helps others who are, who are looking for information to know that this is a good source where they can uh, be blessed as they um, listen, as you have been. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your prayers. I thank you for um, your continued support. And uh, we couldn't do it without you. So um, that's it for today. I can't wait to see you back here next week for another episode of Adventology. But until then, Maranatha. Maranatha.